Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have got a wet and wild show lined up for you. Wet for sure. I'm not sure that it's necessarily wild. Timothy McEwen Piquet from Cornish College is on the show today, and it is an exciting episode. Um, we're continuing our quest to have more Western schools on the pod, or at least in general to break up our East Coast dominance. But it was a really fun episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy um, hearing about a different and interesting school that is Cornish. Uh, nothing too big or new to plug on the MTCA side of things. We're gearing up for our junior weekend in person and online this weekend, which is super fun. It's a really great kickoff to our events where students are going to be digging into material, which are going to continue in earnest in our spring faculty masterclass series online. That's in April and May. And then our summer faculty masterclass week, which is August 1st through 6th, exclusively in person. Um, our juniors are really crushing it this year. It's so exciting to see their enthusiasm for what's upcoming for them uh, in the coming year. As for my seniors, hopefully you're listening to this episode while on a visit to Cornish because you're thinking about going here or perhaps listening to this while visiting another school and you just can't get enough of the sound of my voice. Maybe you just need to hear it to help you sleep at night. I hear you. I know. I'm with you. Um, sending you love as you're evaluating this very big moment of your life to both uh, students and parent listeners for those seniors. And for all of you, are you getting ready for episode 100? It's coming soon. It's got a very special guest. It may have already been recorded. And next week, we're going to have a really awesome guest as well with Chris McCarroll of Lightning Thief fame. And let's be honest, TikTok fame um, as well. Now, let's get to this episode, which I'm going to give you a warning. You're going to hear the sound of rushing rainwater a few times in the episode. Megan and I, while we were recording, we kept looking at each other like, can Seattle be that rainy? But it turns out it was his malfunctioning dishwasher. So when you hear that odd sound, now you know what that is. <laughs> we were able to get it fixed partway through, but there are a couple of these little whooshes, um, and it was they're very odd. So I think you'll be glad for the prep when you hear it for the first time. And on that odd note, here is Timothy McEwen Piguet from Cornish College. Well, we are so honored to have Timothy McEwen Piguet of Cornish College of the Arts. Uh, Timothy has a BFA from the University of Utah, an MFA from the National Theater Conservatory. He's been on Broadway in Catch Me If You Can and lots of great regional shows as well. He's done film and television stuff like Men of Honor, The Nature of Things, many others, um, and is now a professor at Cornish 
College of the Fine Arts, which is in Seattle, Washington. They have smaller class sizes. We'll talk about that. They can be variable without necessarily a set number. Uh, And they have BFAs in musical theater and acting slash original works, which we'll also talk about as well. Timothy, how are you doing? Welcome on the pod. I'm well. It's it's nice to be with you. Before we dive into college, I want to hear a little bit more about your experience there. Can we talk a little bit about sort of what brought you to Cornish? Uh, I just sort of happened upon it. Uh, the former chair, Richard E.T. White, phoned me one afternoon and uh, asked me to come in for a meeting with him. And uh, it was a uh, a very sort of uh, profound and eventful meeting. And at the end of it, you know, he offered me uh, a a chance to uh, teach there. Cornish Mm -hmm. has a reputation of a faculty that is made up of working artists. So uh, one of the things that really interested me was that uh, I was able to concurrently hold on to my performing. And at that time, it was mainly performing. Now Mm -hmm. it's more so directing. But to maintain that career and uh, uh, as well as teach. I love it. Yeah, I see a lot of directing around, especially around Seattle, it seems like. So that's something you still actively do where you'll direct and then, you know, is that over the summer or while actually during the semester as well? Well, uh, it depends. I was on sabbatical this last fall and I directed uh, A Raisin in the Sun for Pittsburgh Public Theater. Heck yeah. Um, I myself am from Pittsburgh, so we love the Pittsburgh Public Theater. Oh, yeah. Let's dive in a little bit to Cornish. So I'd love to hear just kind of in overview, what do you think it means to be a Cornish student? Or maybe what are the what are you trying to attract in terms of a, a student body uh, to Cornish? Well, I think our mission statement is, is pretty encompassing in that uh, we strive to be an institution that uh, seeks uh, artists, citizens, and innovators. So we try to find a good, healthy balance between those three values. And if let's talk a little bit about the the training. So if I'm coming in and I am an artist and an innovator and all the wonderful things, how am I going to come out change from a, a technique perspective? Maybe that's especially as a musical theater student, but then uh, we'll hear separately as an acting student as well. So what what am I getting training wise as an MT and then as an actor? Well, I think the fundamentals are the same, right? That that we don't necessarily. Uh, subscribe to a particular um, methodology or technique that the uh, the principles that are taught are as varied as the instructors, but we are really uh, devoted to developing an actor's individual voice. We're not a cookie cutter program. That it's that it's it's great if you can kick your leg at forty five degrees, but it's what else can you uh, offer that the, to the conversation? That um, we do a good deal of devised work. We do a good deal of emphasis with community work. Um, and it's surprising where those skills can land students. Mm-hmm. That if you're a student that says, oh, my eye is, is directed straight towards the Broadway stage. Yes, we can uh, certainly uh, offer that type of training. We have just this last, in the last three months, I think Sarah Porkalob and Jinx Monsoon, Cornish mm-hmm. grads, mm-hmm. who are uh, appearing on Broadway. But more than that, it's what is your own unique artistic voice? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to achieve and how can we help you amplify that? I love it. I do have to point out, I don't think kicking your leg at 45 degrees would be very impressive. I feel like that's no, a very small, you need to <laughs> be like 135 or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you feel like in the musical theater, um, other than sort of developing that, that larger artistic voice, is there one of the three disciplines that you feel like you focus on? Does, does that mean you tend more toward acting based musical theater training or is it really more equal? Yes. Yes. It would yes. be more active based. Yes. I love it. Um, and then what about the actors? So I'd love to hear about this. 
acting slash original works. And you can tell me about is, are they all getting that original works degree or is that optional within the BFA acting? Um, but then tell me about that, that training. Well, if you're in the, if you're accepted in the BFA acting original works, uh, students tend to self-identify maybe by the end of their first or second year, if their interest leads them more towards performing mm-hmm. or if it leads them towards devising or if it leads them towards directing. But uh, we, I have a colleague who uses the expression, eat the world. And we find that the majority of, of students that we admit to the acting or works want to eat the world. They want to do it all. Mm-hmm. I love it. And we'll definitely talk about that a little in the audition process. I know there's some specific videos they can do to try to show off um, their interest in that as well. Um, what about in terms of like dance training specifically? Um, and I realize with my 45 degree comment, this may not be um, the greatest area of expertise for you, but how does it work in terms of like the leveling for if I'm an incoming freshman, like are all the uh, um, MTs in the same kind of level? Do they do we have different levels in terms of the dance training? Uh, well, I think that we're always trying to improve. Uh, it used to be that that a cohort would enter, and the, we have a very uh, remarkable head of dance at Cornish, T- uh, Tika Guttrick Daly, who was part of the American Dance Machine, and so she studied with DeMille, Fossey, all of them. And uh, she's very adept at sort of leveling a class of a mixed mm-hmm. cohort, but I think we're striving to um, do an assessment where more advanced students could be placed in a particular section where students who might need more support would be placed in a different section. Well, I love that. And that leads me to that question of, you mentioned having sort of variable classes. What does that look like in terms of your incoming freshmen of just how, how large the class, meaning the cohort is versus then I think you mentioned also some classes that are specific uh, um, numbers of students. We have a good deal of flexibility in that I can recall some years where we have had as many as five sections of first-year students and as few as two. Which would mean like approximately 20 to 50 in terms of the the numbers? Correct, or as many or or, uh, more than 60. Uh But as we're finding, right, that the uh, precipitous drop of college-age students is about to drop off in the next two years, that uh, programs are are, uh, competing right? Mm-hmm. For fewer and fewer candidates. Don't, please don't tell us that as a coaching business, Timothy. We don't want to hear the, don't give us the bad news. Come on, we're just going to increase the percentage of musical theater interested people. Well, it's happening people just were not having as many children. Yeah, I know. Well, and I think that, you know, families are making evaluations on terms of what would be the value of an education, a theater-based education, mm-hmm. as opposed to something else. I totally agree. And I'll say as a parent, one is certainly enough, more than enough on my end. Um, let's talk a little bit about how do you prepare your student for the launch into the business? So um, in terms of stuff like prepping for a showcase, prepping for a meeting with agents, managers, and just sort of getting to know um, their launch into the post-collegiate career. Well, we like to inform students that based on the, uh, the faculty who are teaching, right, who are working artists, that they're auditioning every day that they are in the room with people who could be could be potential colleagues at any given moment. And so just to be mindful of that. And then as they get to the end of their uh, second year into their third year, we begin to talk about what we call the professional pivot in terms of what is your life going to look like post-Cornish. Mm-hmm. Uh, some students decide that they would like to seek further training and want to go on to graduate school. Others decide that they just want to take a break from the theater. And others just decide, you know what, I think I'm ready to hang the shingle outside my door and, 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 try, uh, and try my luck. But the uh, 
second half of the third year and the fall semester of the fourth year are really oriented towards looking outward. And so Mm -hmm. we have every December a showcase where we uh, invite casting agents, directors, uh, theaters from all over the region to uh, come and see our students work. Uh, in the past, something that was successful, and I don't think we do that anymore, simply because the pandemic necessitated it, but uh, we uh, devised sort of a, an audition flyer, uh, if you would, that we recorded the students' audition material and sent mm-hmm. it out all over the world. So that was a really interesting experiment, but I do believe that we returned to in-person auditions this last December. Yeah. And the, the live showcase is in Seattle. That's correct. It's on campus there on our campus. I love it. Well, that leads me to what percentage of your students um, come from either the Seattle area or maybe we'd even say just the Northwest in general? And then I'd also love to hear if you have a sense, what percentage of your students end up branching out to the New York, LA, Chicago, different areas versus what percentage maybe stay in the Seattle uh, region? You know, I think you would have to speak with our admissions office for those exact numbers, but this is just my um, given guess that... uh, Perhaps maybe 65, 70% may come from the Northwest, but we have a lot of students that come from Hawaii, California, Oregon, of course. Texas has a big representation, uh, Florida. But then we also have um, some international students, students from Mm -hmm. Korea, Japan, Russia. And then what about that converse? Where do you feel like they end up? Do most end up coming to New York? Maybe of the musical theater majors, do many of them end up going to uh, New York or do many end up all over the country or all over the world? I think they end up all over the country. Uh, A number of them uh, choose to stay in the Northwest simply because they built up those networks. Totally. Um, And then talk to me a little bit outside of the theater program. What does a student get as a Cornish you know, college uh, student, what is the the college experience? And then also academically, what are they getting outside of the theater program? Well, we are uh, unique in that our campus is located right downtown. Uh, Sort of the the network of tech companies, Microsoft, Uh of course, um, Amazon, Facebook, Google. So we're in the midst of this, this tech nucleus in downtown Seattle. So those are just right on the same block. Mm-hmm. It's an urban campus, so uh, students can uh, partake of the opera, the symphony, the ballet, Seattle Art Museum. So they're immersed in uh, in the cultural center and heart of Seattle. I think that our humanities and science classes are devised in a way to help amplify the students' artistic uh, uh, interests in addition to developing what is so essential, I think, for any artist is a strong uh, critical thinking mm-hmm. foundation. Mm-hmm. And is it possible in terms of a, you know, uh, getting a, either a minor or even, God forbid, a double major for the musical theater and acting students? Is that possible? Is that something any of your students do? No, not at this time. Not even a minor at this point. No. You're like your musical theater, you're t- all your class time is taken mm-hmm. up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, what about cost? Do you have a sense of you know, what a student is kind of going all in in terms of what the, the, the total cost is if I'm going to attend Cornish. And then also, I know you won't be able to give exact numbers or anything, but um, do you have a sense generally of like how scholarships work in terms of merit, in terms of academic? Well, I know our scholarships are based on, on need basis. I know that there has been a revision in terms of uh, the ability to stack grants and scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaning you're, you are now able to do so? I believe so, Bress. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And once again, I think Albert Rubio would be, um, could offer much more specific information than I. I'm sort of guessing here. Uh, I do know that I believe uh, maybe five, five, four or five years ago, the president of the college uh, announced a tuition a drop, a reduction mm-hmm. in tuition. But just last week, I uh, read an email that I believe that we are going to need to raise our costs by a small, anywhere between three or 8%, I think. Mm-hmm. And do you have a sense of what that range is in terms of total cost? You know, I don't want to say out loud for fear I may be wrong. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll have to look it up on, on our net price calculators, all of us. As you're you know, a month or two away from people really starting to make their final decisions. You know, the seniors are are picking, making their choices come March and April. Um, why do you find students, you know, pull the trigger and say, yes, I do want to come to Cornish? And why do they maybe choose not to? If they have a couple great offers, you know, why do you feel like what persuades them to come? And what is the reason that maybe they would say, you know what, here's where I'm going to go somewhere else? I think what persuades them to come is perhaps the opportunity and the encouragement to to amify their own artistic voice. We don't have mm-hmm. a Cornish type. Mm-hmm. What and then what about in- the reverse? Is there something that, that some sort of turns people off where they go, you know what, here's why I'm going to end up at this different school? You know, I think that, that sometimes students are attracted to the idea of legacy, that, for example, if I went to a particular institution, that that would then somehow um, pave the way or even, dare I say, guarantee uh, a mm-hmm. certain degree of, of opportunities, which, you know, in my experience is, is not always accurate mm-hmm. or even true. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, you know, we're, we're big in our admissions push to say that we want you, we see you. Yeah, It's not about trying to make you conform to, you know, being the third person on the left or the redhead on the right or whatever mm-hmm. it is that we have a, 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 a large number of students who, are seeking something outside of themselves or an opportunity to, to become more themselves mm-hmm. than they had previously. Uh, we have uh, a large number, I would say, of queer identifying, uh, trans identifying students who find it safe to mm-hmm. explore that aspect, not only of, of their humanity, but what it has to say and inform their art. Mm-hmm. It's so well said. You know, it's something that I think so many of our students talk about wanting, right? They, I want a school that's really going to see me as me. But to your point, sometimes the allure of that big name is hard. Sometimes they they go, oh, but I do see that, you know, school that's been around for 70 years and has all this, that, you know, reputation. But um, I do think so many of our students, when you talk to them at the outset, say, I really want a school that's going to see me for me and develop my artistry. Right. And I think that I encourage students who, who have uh, that or are curious about such things is to really research the faculty who would be instructing them. Mm-hmm. And to find out what the faculty are up to. Are the faculty in the field or the faculty devoted to uh, to the world of, of academia, which is there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. no value judgment on it, but it's just a question of, you know, where you want to make those those connections and the type of, of training and experience that you'd like to have ultimately. And do you do you vibe with them? Yep. Um, all right. My last question before we'll take a little break and chat about the audition process is I'd just love to hear, you said you were the interim um, faculty chair for the acting musical theater department. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn from that experience? What did you learn from the experience of, of chairing? Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm still uh, synthesizing that. You know, it's, it's always interesting to learn how the sausage is made, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of the tensions. And I mean, we're uh, one of, I think, maybe three 
or four private arts colleges in the nation. And so, you know, what are the, um, uh, what are the restrictions? I should say the, the fiduciary sort of challenges with mm-hmm. being an institution that small. And in that particular situation, I think it allowed me to work uh, across the college with colleagues that I normally would not get to interact with. Uh, it taught me a lot about my own compassion in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, what sort of leaders do I respond to and trying to be that person as opposed to someone who, is counter the, to a person that I would respond to generally. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it gave me a chance to really sort of check in with my students. Primarily, I teach first-year students and then maybe uh, fourth-year students, but I was able to to reconnect with second, third, and fourth-year students mm-hmm. and in a really sort of beautiful way to sort of uh, witness their growth from sort of an aerial view, if you will. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well said. Um, all right, we're going to take a short break. And on the back end, we'll chat about how to get into Cornish, what the audition and admission process is as well. So back in a flash. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. We are back with Timothy McEwen Piguet of Cornish College, and we're going to chat a little bit about the audition process. Um, I'm going to ask you first the toughest question, which is just, in short, what do you think makes a good audition for you? What do you look to see in the audition? Mm. I think uh, a student who is grounded in their work, that's someone that doesn't push or force or show emotion. Mm-hmm. that uh, someone who can play an action, or at least more than one action. Totally. Anything that you feel like you become sort of a red flag, that if you see it in an audition, you're like, I don't love, this maybe not is the right fit for us. I think if a student comes in and, and wanting to uh, present an idea that we think we may want to see, that if someone mm-hmm. is, is overly coached and overly polished, I, I sort of miss the human being that's inside there. It's mm-hmm. the human being that has to make the work. And how have you found on the different platforms? Right? So you mentioned, of course, at some point we're doing all online and now we're mm-hmm. back to in-person. How have you find that affects your auditioning experience in terms of maybe what you're looking for in a student or what you're asking of a student, whether it's online or in-person? Well, I think it's a mixture. I think that some students we have found uh, do really well with the idea of being online. Mm-hmm. That is something that an, an outcome of the pandemic and that we would have exposure to students that we normally would not have. But there is still really no substitute for being in person with a person in the room, in discussion mm-hmm. with a person in the room. Mm-hmm. That we can uh, just watch their ease, their body language, the way they communicate, if they engage us 
eye to eye. And I noticed you guys participated in like Pittsburgh Unifieds. How does it, uh, you know, how does the experience of auditioning throughout the year in terms of timing affect the way you look at auditions? So if you're looking at someone in October, how does that potentially affect the way that you're thinking about building your cohort and building your class versus seeing them in February or in January? Well, uh, and I wonder if this is a, a question for Albert, but I, what I believe is, you know, if students are in their junior, senior year, they're starting to, to think about what the next step may be. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, the benefit of, of engaging with the student early is that they can always ask questions, that we can always do follow-ups, they can mm-hmm. do campus visits, that it just doesn't seem to be a hard press or a hard sell at the 11th hour. Uh-huh. That they have time to actually research, that they can actually reach out not only to faculty, but to current students and recent graduates as well about mm-hmm. what their experience was like at Cornish. Totally. So they're building like a longer term relationship than they have if mm-hmm. they walk in for you in February. Or mm-hmm. like I just, I was doing some virtual auditions just yesterday. And uh, I would say the majority of those were people who um, engaged in, in early participation with one of our admissions mm-hmm. counselors. They came to a, a thespian conference in Indiana, or they came to their high school, or they heard them speak somewhere, and they mm-hmm. were really intrigued by Cornish and then decided to do some follow-up, and then they decided to audition for us. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. Well, and it just seemed like you are, maybe even more so than the average acting musical theater program, attracting a more specific kind of artist, right? I mean, even just the idea of work new work development being part of your original works i should say being part of the degree that's unusual right? that's not most students are not necessarily going to bfa in order to create original work well we think about the type of work that's being made these days musical theater and plays right that that students have access to platforms that when i was a student i could never even dreamed of that the yeah. internet has opened up the world for storytelling in a way that we didn't know or couldn't couldn't imagine even five years ago dare i say yeah. and so these are the students that are showing up saying well i already know this and i know this and i know how to do this so show me how i can maybe make those things intersect or maybe i can refine some of these yep. practices, that's what they're looking for. Totally. And so you guys do not require a pre-screen, but you have these additional videos that students can submit. Do you just tell me about how those are used for you, whether it's the, the new works video, and then also it seems like it's called it a special skills video, maybe what other students might call a wild card video. How do you use those in admission um, for the students? Well, I think I can, I can only speak from, from my point of view as, as uh, someone who audits the auditions. Mm-hmm. It's just always great to look at a work sample that if students have been generating work, it's always great to just sort of see at what level they're manifesting their work in their training. And it's like, maybe this might be a good fit for Cornish or maybe not. And is it the kind of thing where it's like, if they've submitted it in advance, say with their application, are you looking at it after their live audition, before their live audition, in their live audition? How is that interacting with, you know, if someone does does submit this amazing new play that they wrote or whatever, when does that come up in their process? I would say that, that all three of those things that you mentioned are accurate. (laughs) <laughs> Great. Okay. I love it. Um, I want to ask about, because this is not unique to Cornish, but is a, a little unusual in terms of material selection. You provide monologue options for students, right? You, you mm-hmm. give them, hey, option one and option two. Mm-hmm. And then you also say, it's okay if you don't have time to prepare this, that you could do a different contemporary piece. 
uh, I'd love to hear maybe a little bit of the reasoning behind that. And, and in terms of your advice for, let's say, most of our students who already do have monologues prepared for other schools, would you rather that they learn one of these two pieces or bring in the one that they prepared? Well, um, this is a practice that, that started before I even arrived. And mm-hmm. it was sort of, I guess, maybe um, a leveling in terms of here, uh, here are these high stakes, well-written pieces that we ask that you prepare one of these two, uh, in addition to uh, one of your own choice. Uh-huh. So if we can see how students can manifest stakes, yep. given circumstances, if they've actually read the whole play or not, if they're pulling things out of thin air, right? if they've actually done the preparation, yep. and if they've actually decided to respond to a mat to an imaginary partner what mm-hmm. we find oftentimes uh sometimes due to no fault of their own sometimes it's just advising but we find uh, uh the audition material lacking in that they're simply relating a story but they're not trying to change an imaginary partner and so yeah. the there's a wide range of material that sometimes doesn't necessarily show the student to their advantage so that's why we decided to use those those uh those pieces. It's really cool. I mean, it, it does seem like it takes out the factor of, you know, not everybody can afford to pay for coaching services and to pay for people who really have read a lot of plays and know how to help them do material. So it seems like it kind of removes that factor to go, hey, we're all working on the same good material. Exactly. Know, really there. Um, if you had to guess, and I'm not going to uh, nail you down on an exact number, but if you had to guess in terms of your decision to say yes or no in the room, or this does feel like a Cornish a student or not, how much do you do you feel like is based on like the quote unquote skill displayed in the work done in the room, so whether it's singing, acting, dancing, et cetera, versus the more intangibles of what it was to get to know the student in the interview, if you give them adjustments? How much is in sort of camp A versus camp B? Oh, wow. Um, that's a really good question. Some students, obviously, you can tell right off, right, if they have an ability to connect to material. Mm-hmm. Right, if they're able to once again, and I keep repeating myself, if they're able to inhabit a given circumstance. Yep. And some students, we find if we work with adjustments and and offer them adjustments, if they're able to hear and respond, then it's like, oh, there they are. Mm -hmm. There they are. And if someone is a risk taker, then those tend to be the people that we will admit. Really cool. If you have an artistic yes on your end, what then has to happen in terms of do they need certain academics to pass? To, if you say, I want this student to say yes from the audition experience, you or one of your colleagues says yes artistically, what do they need in terms of, you know, do the essays factor into the grades, do the SATs? How does that all work in terms of the academic submission uh, well, uh, as well as the audition? Both artistically admitted and academically admitted. Mm-hmm. So both of those things have to. Uh, have to go hand in glove that we do look at transcripts and we can sort of look at a student's history. And we know that, you know, sometimes uh, uh, learning differences may not be diagnosed early on, or maybe they went to uh, a school that, that really didn't, uh, it wasn't a good fit or a good match. That's why I think the uh, interview is so important, but they do tell us something. Transcripts do tell a story. Mm -hmm. And so those, that has to be factored in. And uh, yeah. Do you look, do you, does the artistic department look at stuff like essays and letters of recommendation or is that more the academic department? Uh, it's a combination of both that, for example, if, if there's a student that I'm not sure of, then mm-hmm. I'll go back and I'll review those materials 
uh, a second or a third time just to be Mm -hmm. really clear. Totally makes sense. Um, All right. And then my last question, just about, especially for musical theater majors, in terms of the interaction between disciplines, you know, you mentioned you think they're a little bit more acting based of the musical theater. That's you go, that's maybe number one um, primary of the three disciplines. Do you feel like, are you consciously trying to create a diversity of skill set in terms of some people who are stronger singers, some who are stronger dancers? Is it just about the artist you're interested in and it's okay if the classes really have varying skill sets? How does that work in terms of the holistic versus the like um, each individual score of an acting, singing, dancing score? Well, I think I can tell you sort of what is a dream of ours. And the dream of what would it look like to create a truly accessible musical theater program? Mm-hmm that not everyone is a fantastic dancer. Not everyone is a fantastic singer. Mm -hmm. And some people, you know, are fine actors. Being uh, uh, unbalanced is is an unfair characterization of it, but but having um, noticeable differences in either of those categories, does that preclude someone from participating fully? And so I think that's what we're really interested in, is how do we make this accessible for everyone? Well, and that leads me right to um, just to talking a little bit about the past couple of years and, you know, looking back at the past uh, a few years, especially with, you know, we have the, the access of, of online versus in-person, certainly. And then also, you know, in the wake of George Floyd, I think a lot of universities really looked at um, their curriculum and what they could do to sort of um, increase equity, increase access. What has Cornish done, if anything, in the past couple of years? Um, and what are you still doing or, or planning to do? Well, we've had a concerted push for anti-racist curriculum at our college. Um, we can always do better, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of diversity on our campus. That's something that that we're always striving towards. Um, but I think uh, it, Cornish being the size it is and being a private art school, sometimes students may not necessarily see that as an option for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we took that time, that pause, if you would. We still remain mm-hmm. teaching, but online. But we really took an inward look at our uh DEA sort of philosophy and where that was showing up in our individual syllabi, where that was showing up in our lesson plans, where it was showing up in the programming that we decided to, we were going to present to the community. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, Last but not least, I just, we mentioned at the top, the idea of, you know, we have a lot of parent listeners. I'd love just to chat about, um, if you have any advice for parents out there, you know, for our parents who are listening, maybe they're the mom of a junior or the dad of a senior making their final decisions, you know, what advice do you have in terms of helping their their child through this process? Well, um, I would say start early. It's important to ask questions, but also maybe more important, I think it's it's uh, important to meet the people, the instructors. Mm-hmm. the administrators of that institution. If they can take the time to meet with you and the time to speak with you, then those people would automatically go to the top of my list. Mm-hmm. That it's certainly, uh, I, I think if it's a, for lack of a better characterization, a factory-based program mm-hmm. where uh, they have a quota and a cut system and things like that, I would be less 
trustful mm-hmm. and more um, scrupulous of those programs than a program that just uh, tries to be more holistic in their approach towards educating students. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think our unwritten motto is Cornish for life. Mm-hmm. And that you can go to any given city and find someone who has been connected to Cornish in some way yep. and they're doing a variety of interesting things. And they, I think we are also really proud that we graduate great people, mm-hmm. humans, in addition to, you know, fine artists, but what is your humanity? Mm. I think there's, there's so much value in that in a BFA in general that, you know, to be, to be an empathetic human being is of such value to this earth, even if you don't end up just being an actor, if you end up doing many different things. Um, we'll wrap up there. Is there, is there anything else in terms of where people could check out more information? Um, if they go, this was great. I want to hear more about Cornish, you know, in terms of, do you direct them to the website, social media, where, where do you feel like people should be checking stuff out? Both of those things, but the website is always a great start. Cornish.edu. You could, if you're interested in the theater, you would contact Albert Rubio or Andre Williams. And either one of those people would reach right back and connect you with whatever resource that you're seeking. I love it. And we'll put both the social media and the links in the show notes for you all to click on. Mm -hmm. Um, Timothy, thank you so much for the time today. This was such a pleasure. Yeah, it was nice to be with you. And uh, hopefully I was of use. Hot diggity. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Timothy. I thought he was really eloquent and warm and gave some really great specific insight into what kind of program Cornish is. And I also hope you enjoyed the dishwasher sound. Did it not sound a bit like rushing rainwater? Megan and I really did think we were just hearing Seattle for a bit until we eventually figured it out. Um, As far as a takeaway for today, I thought I'd talk about something that isn't unique to Cornish, but we touched on today and it will be really relevant for your process in terms of different requirements presented to you. This is especially maybe helpful for our junior and younger listeners now. This can be true of essays, it can be true of additional videos, like Cornish has uh, that video to demonstrate original works. It can be true of pre-screen filming requirements, whether they're special framing or different locations, this kind of thing. And in this case, specific material requests. I remember a school a few years back, I shall not name the school, um, caused a true panic among all of our students and quite a few of MTCA's monologue coaches when they asked students to bring in a 12-line Shakespearean sonnet. All of our students were first like, wait, I have to learn a second Shakespeare thing on top of my classical monologue? And our coaches were like, hey, all of Shakespeare's sonnets are 14 lines. Is this kind of weird trick to have them cut out two lines and are they counting to see if the students read the details closely enough and that's why they gave them this impossible assignment. It turned out that this school, after being inundated with questions, first added, uh, or your Shakespeare monologue is fine to the requirements, it was like you do this or this, and then just remove this requirement entirely. But a lot of the intention behind these kinds of requirements I think are really kind. They're thinking about the student who might not have any help in this process and that it would be a really large and onerous task to make them go select a Shakespeare monologue that's appropriate for them, for them. But like by reading a lot of Shakespeare plays, I mean, that's a really big ask for a 17-year-old. It's a big ask for a 30-year-old to you know, cold read a Shakespeare play. So they try to make it easier by just saying, hey, pick one of these. So they can still see how students work on verse, but they're not asking them to do this, this big bring. What so few of the schools 
are often considering in their decision making is that the vast majority of their auditioning students are auditioning for many schools and likely already have other audition requirements picked out. So in trying to make it easier on the specific student auditioning for only their school, they're actually making it much harder on the majority of the auditioning public and potentially losing some auditioners who are just not going to make the time to learn another new thing. Another big example of this, which is true for many years, uh, is dance videos. Some of the popular schools used to have a specific dance they required as part of the pre-screen package. Since they thought, and I think I understand why, they thought it's too much to ask a 17-year-old to be able to choreograph their own dance. So they're like, here, we'll give you a couple options, right? However, it's another example of a nice idea in practice that in actuality meant most students had to choreograph their own dance for their other schools and learn a few specific uh, dances for these few specific schools. So it ended up meaning more work, not less work. This one blessedly seems to be going by the wayside, though many schools in their callback will still have you learn specific choreography. Normally in the pre-screen round, they'll take the 60 seconds that you've prepared for the common pre-screen. But this brings us to the fundamental tension that you'll see again and again in this process, which is the schools really do have the intention generally of making things easier for you to audition for their school. Right? Often they're talking about access and they want more students to be able to audition for their school and not at some great cost but they are not incentivized to make it easier for you to audition for many schools by making their entire audition slash application process generic. The same process that would make it easier for you, which would be the common app, the exact same pre-screen requirements, that's it. That feels limiting to the schools because it takes away the specificity of their student experience, right? The same way that they might completely understand intellectually why you as the student need a number of schools, maybe it's 20 schools or whatever to audition for, to protect yourself in this competitive process. That same school does not want to feel like they're just one of the 20. And in fact, the more schools you apply to, the less likely you're going to end up going to their school. So they're disincentivized to making it easy for you to do a large number of schools. So how do you reconcile this tension? My big and very general advice in this is what I always call threading the needle, which I have no idea why I use that term. I really kind of mean like finding your own balance, but I like to sneak a sports term in there whenever I can. So threading the needle, it is. It's how can you find out how you can go through this process with as much specificity to each individual school as is possible while keeping yourself sane. And that needle threading balance is really, really different from student to student. And that's okay, is what I'm going to try to tell you. Some students are able to give a great deal of individualized attention to each school's specific requirements to the T, to the letter of the law. And they're writing essays that are so specific to this college and that college and that are very different from each other. And they're obeying the exact letter of the law with every audition requirement. You know, if it says up to the knees on the pre-screen, they make sure their entire knee is in the frame. Or if it says three quarters of their body, they measure what is exactly the three quarters point of my body and they do the math and they make it exactly right, right? And certainly they would learn every specific piece of material outlined in school like what Cornish is asking for and they're very excited by this new and different task. It's so cool if, you, if you're that kind of student. We have many of these students and they do very well and the faculty often is very complimented by this kind of personal attention that they're getting from each of the students when they do that. These students do their unique video submissions, they do them well and that really demonstrates their interest fully. On the other hand, some students just are not able to give that much time and that much attention to the process. 
They might write essays that are a bit more form with, uh, you know, a block that answers this kind of question to conservatories, another block that's a little more for liberal arts uh, programs. They're, they're changing the names and a few details, but they're generally reusing their essays when the prompts are similar, right? With their pre-screens, they might reconcile one school saying full body and another school that says knees up. And they say, you know, that, that counts as my full body shot. It's a basic idea, which is in contrast to my close-up. They're getting basically what they're asking for, even though not getting to the letter what they're asking for, right? They might submit their wildcard video to this original works assignment, right? Which maybe it's not, and what they do in their wildcard isn't exactly original work, but it's original and they like it and they think that basically hits most of what you're you're asking for, right? With these kinds of specific videos, maybe rather than making a completely new video for every college, they make a video that kind of addresses most of what the colleges are asking for or potentially don't submit every new optional video because a lot of these videos are optional. And I'll say we have many students like that who also do very well in this process. If the schools like you, they like you. I mean, could there be a risk that a school feels your video isn't specific to them and, you know, based on what they ask for, they say, no, I'm not going to pass the pre-screen? Totally. But just because they see that it's not completely specific for them, does that mean they definitely won't pass your pre-screen? It does not mean that, right? The reality of this process is most people are not able to check off every box exactly and perfectly how it's outlined on the individual school's websites. It can be overwhelming and you've got to find your balance of going, what feels like good enough? What feels like that's getting the spirit of what they're asking for versus the letter? Right? You might choose the schools that are highest on your list. You know, Maybe it's the top half of your list that you're really excited about, that you're going to do all of their additional specific attention. But then for the other half, you might say, I'm going to do, try to do my darn best, but I'm not going to hit every single thing. Or you might choose to focus more on that specificity in that phase in the callback portion. So you might not be as specific with the pre-screen stuff, but then once you get to the callback, you're really going to go deep and, and um, be very specific. Right? Those are all valid strategies for how you can realistically handle the process. But please do note, I did say thread the needle, not blow through the stop sign, right? I don't know what that analogy is, but whatever the thing, you cannot completely ignore requirements. If someone asks for a 60-second monologue and you come in with a three-minute monologue, that to me just feels disrespectful. That feels like you didn't even look at the requirements, right? If someone asks for a site-specific video and you just totally ignore that and do it against a blank wall, yeah, I think you're now opening up a risk of them rejecting you, even if they think you're talented. Because they go, they really didn't even look at my requirements. Did they really care that much about my school? So you have to find that balance. How much can I do? You know, and is it an absolute requirement or is it a suggestion? You know, does this feel like it might be intending pretty close to what they're asking for, even if it doesn't obey the exact letter of the law? Again, as we do with the risk material, you find your balance of what feels right and what you feel like you can support. And if there's an absolute requirement that just feels overwhelming, it might mean a school doesn't make its way onto your list, right? That does happen. But when you go, you're, I need to learn two, three specific monologues for the school and it's number 19 on my list, it might be the one that you go, well, I got a new number 19 and I'm adding on a different school there, right? But before you make that choice, if it's a school that holds excitement for you, I would look into how you can thread the needle for that first step in your process and go from there, right? Before you write a school off just because you go, oh, that looks like it's going to be some work, is there a way you can not completely do every bit of that work but still do a good pre-screen submission and then see what happens? And if you fall in love with them, then you go, well, I'm going to go submit this extra thing or I'm going to go do this extra mile thing. Well, there's your episode produced by the wonderful Megan Cordier. That ended up being a longer takeaway than I expected. I think there's some sickos out there who listen just for the takeaways. That was for you. And if you're just such a sicko, maybe consider leaving us an Apple review or a Google review or just perform a musical review for us and put it on YouTube. 
Meantime, the rest of you can follow us on all our social platforms, including Mapping the College Edition on Instagram. You can check MTCA out for help with your individual college prep as well. And also, who do you think our 100th episode guest is going to be? Leave your guesses in this episode's comments. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, what degree of leg kick would you find to be impressive? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.